Today's special episode features an exclusive interview with Fred Raskin, the editor of such hits as Fast Five and Guardians of the Galaxy, but perhaps best known as Quentin Tarantino's editor. Chris and I will be talking about our love of all things Tarantino, followed by my exclusive interview with Fred about Tarantino's upcoming 70-millimeter masterpiece, The Hateful Eight. Hello, and uh, welcome to the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to have a special exclusive interview with Fred Raskin. He's the editor of movies like Fast Five and Guardians of the Galaxy, but he's also best known as Quentin Tarantino's editor. And what we'd like to do is talk a little Tarantino and uh, our love for the man. Uh, we had uh, one of his good friends, Allison Anders, on earlier this year. We talked a little bit about him. But, uh, Chris, I know you're a big fan. I am as well. Uh, I am indeed. And hello. This is Bill Cody, by the way. I, yes, this is Bill Cody. My Chris co-host. Kirkwood. And I'm Chris Kirkwood. And this is the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. And today, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about Quentin Tarantino and his work. And then we're going to have an exclusive interview that you did, Bill. Yeah, with Fred Raskin. Alrighty. And Cool. Uh, Let's get into it. So uh, the man started, his first movie was 1982. It was Reservoir Dogs. Uh, that was his first like big movie, right? That was, like... that was his really, his, well, he did a movie before that that mm-hmm. got burned in a fire that you can see like 36 minutes of it, but it didn't really get finished. Wow. Uh, so Reservoir Dogs was his first movie. And uh, it's it's been named by, I think, Empire Magazine, I think, named it the uh, greatest independent film of all time, uh, which, you know, kind of kind of works. It's pretty amazing first movie for anybody. And uh, after that, he did Pulp Fiction. He did Jackie Brown. He did Kill Bill 1 and 2. But we were talking outside. I think he's on a roll with the last Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained. And his new movie. Uh, and his new movie, The Hateful Eight, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But uh, I know you're a big fan of both Inglorious Bastards and uh, uh, Django Unchained. I am. I am. I, I've only seen them fairly recently. I don't get out to the movie theaters that often. I will just admit that. I just don't. And eventually these things wind up uh, on the TV, you know, or in some format or another on TV where I can finally run into them. And uh, what a treat to run into both of those movies. I'd heard about uh, Inglorious Bastards before it came out, or after it came out or something, you know, and people were talking about it. And they were talking about Christopher Waltz, is that his name? The uh, Christoph Waltz, yes. Christoph, Christoph Waltz. You know, the, uh, the, uh, one of the stars of the film. And what a job he'd done portraying, uh, you know, a Nazi. Uh, the movie set in World War II and whatnot. And... And then I saw the thing, you know, I mean, it really, really kicked my ass, you know. And then there's nothing I like more than really, really well done art, you know, that really, that I like. You know, it, it can be practically anything. Well, I think the amazing thing about Tarantino is he truly is an auteur. I mean, when you see a Tarantino movie, it has his imprint all over it, but it's still, like, really well done. I it's, mean, it's not yeah. like... Uh, you know, it, it's it's a cl- crowd pleasing, uh, filmic journey every time he he uh, directs a movie, and you can just tell that the guy really enjoys doing it. 
and then he's really good at it. I mean, he's he's really good at it. it, well, it you know, I can't imagine what it would take to actually make a movie. You know, I mean, I know what it's like to make a record. You know, an album or whatever. You know, to go into the studio and the amount of uh, like coordination that goes into that. You know, yeah, you know the the other people that are involved, and uh, you know somebody has to be in charge in a way. You know, and there's this collaborative element to it. You know, but movies are bigger than that in a way. You know, it doesn't take quite as much. You know, you don't. You go to one place to make a record. You know, you go to like a studio or several studios if that's how it works out. You know, but take, making a movie, I mean, all those different scene. You know, different scenes that they shoot, the different places that they go to, just the amount of like coordination that's involved and to be able to it, it's like putting together a small army yeah you know and, and, uh, and writing shotgun on that you know and being able to do that and then still maintain your like artistic vision it's pretty incredible stuff and that guy's artistic vision is is is, is just one of the ones where you can just tell i mean he's, he's disney-esque to me you know where you see something <laughs> and you just go that's disney right yeah and and and, and 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 tarantino has that element to him where it's like wow you know it, it's really obviously him in a way right and, and it's and it's really filmic too there's something about it where you can tell the guy obviously knows he loves film, film. and i i think that's the other thing is like i i've actually seen him in line at the vista up here uh-huh. he goes to movies with fans right he doesn't just he's not a guy who's like oh i came to hollywood and now i sit in screening rooms he like goes and watches movies because he he loves movie fans as much as he loves movies and i think it that's why he connects, you know. Right. Uh, and one of the in- in- interesting elements, of, like of his story, is that he came out of being a guy that worked at a video store for so long, right? Didn't he? He, he did work at a video store, and he was he was taking acting classes and working in a, a video store uh, in the South Bay. And uh, I, I know he credit he's often credited the fact that he watched so many movies. Uh, at the video store that, you know, he went to town on, and and, and and that was kind of his film school. Well, it'd be interesting to talk to him about, you know, what it takes, the journey that the guy went on to get to the point that he's at. And I'll just go ahead right now and invite him to be a guest on the show if we, he'd like we, to be. We definitely want Quentin to, to be on the show. Be we've got his fun. editor, and we've had one of his best friends. But, uh, yeah, we definitely would. So, I don't know, you know, I mean, really, like... Uh, like I said, I just saw those last two Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained fairly recently. And I, I mean, they were just entertaining as hell, you know? I found them to be exceedingly entertaining, exceedingly well made. That Christoph Waltz is in both of them. And he's really, really, really good, you know? And I think that the, the subject matter that he takes on is interesting as well, you know? I, I'm, you know? And obviously, it has to do with like his his sense of what, you know, what he's trying to do, what he's trying to make, you know, the movie that he's trying to make, you know, like Inglorious Bastards is about, like, a, a, a little cadre of Jewish, like, mercenaries almost. Right. You know, that are going after the Nazis, you know. <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt, I want my scalps. Right. You know, it's, it's just like, so, you know, not necessarily realistic, you know. I don't know if they're, you know. I, I don't think he's trying to be realistic, but he's trying to, it's kind of his history um his filmic history and how he would like to see the world i think uh that's kind of what i get out of it it's like he's he's if the underdog got to win you know right and and he does it so well i mean it's 
I guess you could call them sort of revenge movies, but I think they're so much deeper than that. Yeah. And go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just and, and I re- I read a thing about him where he listed some of his favorite movies. And one of the fa- one of his favorites, I think, is uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, right? So that's one of absolutely one of my favorite films. You know, I mean, I just love it. You know, it's just an incredible movie. You know, where the use of music—that's Ennio Morricone, right? Doing all the music for those films, right? Which They're, we're going to talk about in just a minute. And then those are Sergio Leone right. movies. Uh, you know, the what do they call it? Spaghetti westerns—they call right. them—and uh, and and. Uh, I, and actually, I think they're filmed in Spain, you know. I think they were filmed in Spain. Yeah. But the guys that were making them were Italian, so they... Well, what's what's interesting is actually, <laughs> uh, just a sidebar, get out of Tarantino briefly, but those spaghetti westerns, they all spoke their own languages. And then they dubbed it all right. into English. Right. So they're literally acting on the stage. It's just like a guy speaking German, a guy speaking Italian, a guy speaking Spanish, guy Clint speaking English. And then they just dubbed everything afterwards, right? Which is yeah, it's yeah. really crazy how they made those movies. And, and but you know, they're brilliant. And they managed to like kind of you know, if you watch them, they fit the the English words into the, the mouth into their mouth. You know yes, what I mean? Exactly. You know? But <laughs> just really, really gripping films that I can watch over and over again. And I find the same thing with Tarantino. You know, and you know what else I just recently saw? I'd never seen Kill Bill uh, one. Or two, you know, and I just saw both of those recently. Also terrific, uh, and, you know, amazing. And he, he uses uh, Uma Thurman mm-hmm. uh, in in his films, who's who's just to- totally great. And she could come on the show if she'd like to as well. <laughs> this is the invite Everyone. people. This Lucy is the inv- Lou can come on the show. And Christoph Waltz. This Christoph is the, Waltz is welcome. This is the invite, Brad Pitt. You, you know, live up the street. Come on down. You know, bring bring Angelina with you. You know, so uh, and. Uh, I, I thought those th- those movies were just totally great too. The the Kill Bill, yeah, one and two as well. You know, and uh, I wasn't sure what they were, and then I saw them, and it was just like, oh damn, you know. And, and, I mean, it's a treat. It's a real, real treat to me. Like to bring up again Disney. You know, so these these just these things that are just so magically wonderful to me, right? And you right. know, it's just me, you know. But I mean, to find uh, that level of artistry and. Uh, that level of entertainment, you know. So this, and, this new movie, which comes out the 25th of December, uh-huh. Hateful Eight. You saw it, right? I did get the chance to see it. And, and, and you were invited to a, a screening, pre-screening. And it was in glorious 70 millimeter. He shot it in 65 millimeter using panets. He, he was using lenses that hadn't been used since like 72. Oh, that's awesome. And it is, I'm going to say this for everybody. There's going to be a roadshow version and then afterwards a digital version. If you're anywhere near the roadshow version, it ha- opens with an overture by Morricone. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, this this is his first. Oh, this is his first time that he's used a score, and uh, there's an overture and there's an intermission, so you can talk. Wow. And it's it. This is a real film experience, and I think people have forgotten what that is. And if you get a chance to go out and see the roadshow version, it is. I mean, there are scenes outside in the snow, and I'm shivering, uh, sitting in in a, you know, heated, air conditioned, very nice screening room not too far from here at the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, 
No, it's the Academy of Motion Picture Sciences. Anyway, it's just down the street. I'm shivering because you feel cold because you're just enveloped in this sea of uh, just gigantic, wonderful, uh, you know, film. Right. And 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 I think that's one of the things he was trying to show with this because you know he's a big believer in film. He's not a fan of digital mm-hmm. and we get so used to these like digital movies where you know the 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 hero gets dropped off of the moon and lands in times square not a scratch because you know they're cartoon characters and in this all filmed unbelievable and uh i'm telling you if you get a chance to see it with the roadshow version you got to see it like, how do they do that? I mean, like, it'll play at certain places? It's going to play 100 theaters, uh-huh. and uh, it is, uh, they're actually bringing the equipment in. They have to bring the equipment in to show it on 70 millimeter. So these theaters have agreed to bring in this equipment. Wow. And so it's going to be 100 theaters across the nation, and uh, you go, and it's the special version, and it goes for about two hours, then there's an intermission, and... I know it's going to sound long. It's like it's a little over three hours with the intermission and the overture, but it's like it's like a roller coaster ride. And it's you, the end of the first two hours when you hit the intermission. That's like you're right at the top of the roller coaster, and you're about you're like looking over the edge and like intermission. And then everybody kind of talks with one another. And they, he did this intentionally to allow the. And then after that, it's like down the it's down, down the, the slope and uh and it's it's a real thrill ride and and it's done so well just the pacing and everything i mean and that's a beautiful thing to see to see somebody you know uh use their i mean cuz obviously he's done well enough you know yeah you know yeah uh, i i probably would not get to shoot in 65 millimeter if i did another you, film you know what i mean yeah. to to be able to do that and, and you probably couldn't talk 100 theaters into getting the Right, fancy gear that they need to play these things, you know, as 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 things change. And yeah, I just love that. I love seeing artists uh, take advantage of the position that they manage to get themselves into, you know, to further their art. You know yeah, what I mean, to, to, to this do is, stuff that just this, this isn't is like being done. Uh, you know, I'm sure he got paid a good salary on this, but it's like he's putting the movie's money into making this movie and doing it in this special way for the sake of itself. You yeah, know? and that's it's, it's it's that. MGM thing, right? It's Ars Gratia Artis, which, right? Art for art's sake. Right. And, uh, and, and and I'm not saying that, you know, that has to be done, you know? I mean, I, art for fucking making money. But when you see somebody do it, it's but like... But when it does get done, definitely, it's it's something that I get a, a kick out of, and it's somebody that does it as well as, as he does. You know, it's a, it's a treat. It's a treat. I'm, I just keep being reminded of, of Disney, you know, in a way. <laughs> you know, there's just these certain people that have such a vision you know, they're just, you know, are able to bring together a team, you know, certain people that they work with. And he, again he, and again. he tends to work with people that he's worked with before. He intentionally, one of the other interesting things about this movie is he went back to some of the people from Reservoir Dogs, like Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, who's the other one? Uh, Michael Madsen. Right. People that you don't see as often. Because kind of the last two movies, he had kind of bigger stars, and he intentionally wanted to, you know, they're great actors and everything, but he wanted to dial it back so that it's kind of more focused on the on the film itself. Uh. All great actors, Um, but there isn't. There's a newcomer that just breaks out, named uh, 
Oh, I'm going to screw up his name. I think it's Walter Goggins. Okay. Really, really good. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up our portion here, and we're going to, right after this, go into an interview that I did uh, with the editor. Uh, and it's very... It's a, it's, he, he talks a lot about how it was put together and how Tarantino actually puts these films together. Right. So uh, it's a real treat. And, and you know, I mean, it, it, he's an interesting guy, too. I, I think, you know, uh, like recently Tarantino's been in the news, you know. Oh, yeah. For some of the things that he's said. We should talk about said. that real quick, yeah. You know, I mean, and it's just an interesting person. And obviously I, 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 that, that gets into, like, you know, What's so cool about art, right? It's just, you know, people are all people. We're all, we share certain things in common, but then each one of us is our only version of ourselves. Yeah, right? and, and just to, to fill in what happened there is he went and he marched in a uh, Black Lives Matter march, and he spoke, and uh, the police didn't like it. And they threatened him with a boycott on this movie, and he said, you know— I have the right to speak out about this issue, and I believe in it. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be quiet. You can threaten me all you want, which is also like, and I just read the other day that there were there were protesters at his premiere in New York. They were protesters in support of him, uh, and the police union did not come out to protest like they threatened to do. And I think they realized it was a bad PR move to, uh, you know. It, it, it's been a rough year for that issue, but it's like, you know, it's something he really cares about. And he speaks eloquently about it, too. I mean, yeah. he makes really clear the point that he, you know, that he's not anti-police. The police are obviously necessary in society, and they do, you know, they need to, you know, be there to do the job that they do to protect and serve, you know. But, I mean, if there's an issue that needs to be addressed, it should be able to be addressed in a free society, you know, and that's ultimately what this is, you know, that what democracy, what America is all about, the ability to express yourself and to at least have a dialogue about this kind of a thing, you know. So and, and to him to for him to be able to do that and to, you know, do it so to speak to it so well. I don't know. Just interesting guy. Interesting yeah. Guy. Yeah. And to be, you and, know, that, and we, we do live in an era where usually the uh, management and PR people get them to rescind. Like, I, I didn't really mean to march in that parade. Uh, right. You know. We see that a lot. And, and I'm not, you know, going to bag on those people. I mean, people have careers and they worry about it. But, you know, he's willing to, you know, put it out there. And and can back it up with, you know, because, he, you know, he's not doing it unintentionally. He knows what he's thinking about. And I think it just shows, you know, the side of his mind, you know. And, and I like that. Uh, Oscar Wilde has a quote, uh, be yourself because everybody else is already taken, <laughs> you know. So, you know, when it gets down to the individual, it's just interesting, and it's just, it's cool. It's what the arts are about. It's what everything is about, ultimately, you know, the distinctive elements that we each inhabit. And this that guy is definitely, an, Quentin Tarantino is an interesting guy and has done some art that, you know, I definitely very much dig. So, so go out and see Hateful Eight. See it in 70 millimeter if you can. And, uh, and now, Fred Raskin. There you go. All right. Well, let me... Uh, I have a very specific things that I want to talk to you about. Okay. I was... Uh, we'll, we'll start off with this part. I really enjoyed the visual part of the film. Mm -hmm. I was sitting over at the Linwood Dunn Theater oh. over there, and I was actually felt cold. <laughs> um, which... Uh, you, there's so much CGI these days, and so much of it to me 
is like watching a 30s movie with a fake backdrop. Uh-huh. What was it like to work? As a, I mean, this is truly a film experience. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. It was, it was, uh, you know, from from we you know we screened dailies uh, on location in Telluride. We had a 70 millimeter projector. Um, and so every day we would, our, our producer would announce it. Welcome to the greatest show in Telluride. And, uh, and, and, and we were really just blown away by the, by these images. Um, I mean, just jaw dropping stuff. Um, the, the ability to work with this material that, uh, first of all, the one to 2.76 frame. Um, and what did you cut on? Uh, I cut on Avid. Um, you did so I was, I was cutting in HD. Okay. Um, however, um, we made it a point that uh, at the end of every day, uh, while Quentin and I were working together, basically once production ended, I worked on my own uh, during production because um, Quentin does not enter into the editing room uh, while he's shooting. We do daily screenings. He, he, you know, I get his thoughts during that part of the process. I, I, I make a note whenever he laughs at anything, um, and that means he likes it. Um, but, uh, but during... Uh, but once so once we got into uh, but but sorry but he does not enter into the editing room at all while he's shooting he wants to stay focused on shooting the movie um, so I'm I'm assembling based on any notes that I've gotten from him anything I see in the script supervisor's notes or my own gut instinct um, and then uh, when Quentin comes into the editing room in post um, and, and we start refining the sequences to to his taste. Um, working on the director's cut um at the end of every day i would turn i would turn over my edits to my assistants and they would conform the 70 millimeter work picture to uh, the cut of the film that was in the avid um so that on a weekly basis usually i think it was usually wednesday afternoons we would go over to the dga in theater number one and uh and watch as much of the movie as we had edited up to that point um, projected in glorious 70 millimeter um, you know and that's now, did that affect how you cut digitally um, I think well seeing the material projected on film certainly impacted how long we held on shots um, like seeing how beautiful it was um, gave us you know you, you, know, you have you have the clarity of the image where you can really see the depth of the performances in the, in the actor's eyes. Um, you can, uh, I mean, you also have these, these beautiful compositions. Um, and, and so at a certain point it kind of became, well, why would we want to cut um, if we don't have to? If we don't need to see someone's reaction, let's stay in this shot. And when we do cut, we'd better have a damn good reason for it. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that because years ago I made documentary I've, I've made fil- films off and mm-hmm. on over the years uh, but originally I cut we cut on a flatbed and now when I talk to people who only know digital mm-hmm. sometimes I go like well you know we were on a lower budget but it was like okay if you mess up the you have to be very careful because when you put the opticals in they're like opticals it's like well you know <laughs> it's like you didn't get a chance to like oh let me see what a three second dissolve looks like let uh-huh. me see what a Nope. And, it, and, and, and I think sometimes people don't hold on images long enough these days, partly because of the kind of, you know, have you ever cut on a flatbed at all? Uh, yeah, actually, my, 
when I was in film school, that's what we used. Okay. When I got out of film school, I cut a feature on a flatbed. It was a 16 millimeter feature, but uh, uh, and then and then everything went the way of Avid, and that was kind of the right. last time that I touched film in that way. Um, one of the things, so one of the things that's interesting about this movie um, is the sequence in Act Two, early on in Act Two, when um, when Jennifer Jason Lee is is playing the guitar. Um, oh right. So we hold on this long take of her playing the guitar. Um, I, I want to say it's something like maybe four and a half minutes long. Um, uh, she's playing the guitar, and the guys come in in the background, and they start pouring oh, themselves it's a great coffee. Scene. And, yeah. um, but it all plays out in one shot. Right. So as you are probably aware, there are two different versions of this movie. Um, there's the roadshow version, the 70 millimeter roadshow, which is what you saw. Right. And then there's the multiplex version, which is uh, a digital cinema presentation. Okay. Um, in the digital version, um, that scene is cut differently. Um, Quentin felt, well, this sustains in 70 millimeter, but in, for the digital version, uh, he'd shot a lot of coverage on that scene. Um, but ended up thinking it played so well in that one take, why even go to any of the coverage? But in the digital version, um, we do go to the coverage. So how different is the digital version? Um, and by the way, mm -hmm. if you don't see this in the Roadshow version, you're seeing, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing a lesser <laughs> version because it, the Roadshow version is spectacular. <laughs> yeah, I just gotta say that. You uh, should go see the Roadshow version. Um, Unless you're, you know, cheap or, you know, lazy or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, it may not. You might not have the ability to. It's not playing everywhere. So. I, I, get, I get that. I'm just like, if you have the opportunity, you should see, really see this in. in I, I agree. I mean, I I, I, I love the, ver the the I love the pomp and circumstance of the overture and the intermission and the way the intermission is placed. Okay, um, so, so 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 the difference is uh, uh, yeah, so so there's there's neither an overture nor an, nor an intermission in in the uh, the digital version, the multiplex version. Um, there are there's about four minutes worth of material, four to five minutes worth of material that has been removed from the multiplex version, um, which is really because in the 50s and 60s when the road shows were prevalent, um, they would usually be longer versions of the movie. Um, and so Quentin wanted to preserve that idea. Um, so uh, th there, there are a couple of scenes, like you'll, you'll notice some stuff missing um, in the multiplex version. Not Nothing significant, um, but... Uh, uh, but and and then there is this sequence uh, with Daisy playing the guitar, where you will see an alternate version of the sequence that that uses different footage, um, because uh, we felt a little bit more free to use that in the digital version. Okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna digress slightly mm -hmm. because the closest thing I think I know to something like this is uh, I had seen The Seventh Samurai numerous times. And, I think it was like in the mid '80s, maybe late '80s, like like Spielberg or Lucas, one of those guys, like commissioned like a uh, uh, a version of of the Seven Samurai with the intermission uh -huh. and a brand new print, and it totally opened up the movie. Like I'd seen it three or four times, and then it was a different movie. So, right. guessing you know anyway about the the different cuts and mm -hmm. and. When we saw it, and I saw it over with a, an audience of press, 
guild members, I could use my guild term, but um, the way you pace the movie, and I was sitting in front of some a couple of guys who were like, um, whatever, they were chatting, and I said, well, the first half's a little slow until right at the end, and this movie really builds up to that intermission. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, it's almost like a roller coaster. And that, like, the, the, usually with the roller coaster, you go up and down, up and down. And then there's like the big hill, uh-huh. right? And then you know, like, okay, this last part, we're in for a ride. And to me, the intermission comes at this, I mean, it just builds so well. And it's a real pop. And then it's like, it's intermission. And and people really did talk to one another at the break. And and then it was kind of like, okay, now we're ready. I think maybe the only other thing I could compare it to is like when you watch the Super Bowl, it's like, you know, Katy Perry comes out and it's like, okay, now we're going to watch the second half. It was a good, and it was a good game, you know? So uh, how was that? Was that different building up to that intermission? Um, you know... Uh, I think the screenplay truthfully dictated uh, the screenplay and the way Quentin shot the footage dictated how it was going to go together. Um, uh, with when it comes to the pace of the movie, there you know, uh, there I, I always I always kind of boil it down to there are three key things: right. um, story, character, and atmosphere. Um, and okay. if something does not contribute to one of those three things, it probably is not necessary in the movie. And there were a few things like that. Um, Quentin actually came in uh, early on and said, so I've been thinking that there's one aspect of the movie that I just want to remove entirely. We're not even going to worry about putting it together. It's not going to be part of the director's cut. I, 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 I don't need to see it in there because I know that we can get rid of it and the movie will work better without it. Um, so there were certain things that he was aware of from the get-go. And then there were other things that we kind of found along the way. Um, there's a little bit in, in one of the first trailers that was released for the movie where uh, John Ruth uh, asks Bob, uh, if if he has any more guns, um, and and he notices a shotgun on the wall, um, and he's like, "What's that?" He's like, "Oh, there's that." Um, uh, you did not see that in the movie um, right. because you saw John Ruth take uh, guns from two other characters, and it, the point was made. Um, we we right. didn't actually need any more than that. Um, so uh, you know, some of it came through putting the movie together and just finding these repeated beats that we didn't need. Um, but one of the th- the things that we were very conscious of, um, and that's very important to the movie, is how much the Civil War has impacted all of the characters in this movie, um, how much they've been affected by it, and setting that up in the early scenes. Uh, the scenes in the stagecoach, the scenes between Chris Mannix and Major Warren, mm-hmm. were key to understanding where the movie goes at the end. Um, the, the ending of the movie doesn't work if you don't have that stuff up front. Um, and so we had to be very, very conscious of where these characters were coming from at the beginning of the movie um, and not to lose that um, because the beauty of the last scene of the movie. I don't know that that works if you don't understand where they're coming from at the beginning. Now, you've worked with... This is not the first time you've worked with Quentin. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because Quentin 
he's really like our great American auteur in some ways right now. But he's also a successful auteur. Mm -hmm. Like his movies, you know, people come out to see them. Does that make it? Because I think one of the complaints I have about what's happened in some ways in Hollywood movies is, and it's kind of how people read scripts now. It's like so many movies have great openings, and then the rest of the movie is bloody terrible. Mm -hmm. And then, and I, and I always wonder because sometimes the, like the, the the production companies, the people selling, go like, I don't understand why this movie is getting bad word of mouth. It's like, well. Because the ending was bad. The, you, the, the opening was great. The ending was terrible. People don't remember the ending when they walk out. This movie truly builds to the end. And as an editor, I mean, is, it, is there a certain freedom of knowing? I mean, Quentin, his fans, but also just regular filmgoers, if, if the first little bit is a little slow, they're not going to like walk out. They're not going to like, you know, it's like... I hope not. No, no, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and I'm not saying this movie is slow at the beginning, but it's pacing builds mm -hmm. and builds and builds. Yeah. So that at the end, you're really yeah, I on kind, the edge of your seat. I kind of feel like from the moment that Chris Mannix sits down at the dinner table and asks Major Warren about the Lincoln letter, mm -hmm. the movie's off and running from that point on. Okay. Because um, it, 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 it goes right from that to the Smithers-Warren confrontation and then intermission and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really let and, up. And if a movie isn't paced, mm -hmm. it, you have to give the audience, like, breathing room. Mm -hmm. Like... You can't start a roller coaster ride at the top of Everest and just okay, we're just going to the bottom here. Yeah, because otherwise, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just scary. Well, and I and I think that some of that actually came into play when it comes to the the claustrophobia of the film. Um, that that you know we had to be careful not to give the sequences where we get outside of minis any not to give them short shrift because they're it's. They couldn't be more important um, to the experience of watching this movie. Like, you need a little break every once in a while. You got to get out of there every once in a while. Um, otherwise, the movie can become oppressive. So the sequence, for example, where um, uh, where, where where Chris Mannix and Ob are pounding the stakes in um, mm -hmm. to, to to get to the outhouse, um, like, is really important because that's coming at a point where like we're not going to be outside again for a while. Um, no, no, I, I got to be careful because you know the the spoiler alert part mm -hmm. and everything mm -hmm. but that particular sequence mm -hmm. I it really stuck out to me mm -hmm. because the way it's done and the way the characters are set up you almost think something bad's going to happen <laughs> you know what I mean uh -huh. and then kind of nothing happens <laughs> but I mean that's that's part of the pacing too the, 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 I mean the music may have contributed to that feeling also yeah I mean, um, but I that's mean, not a bad thing yeah I mean it was just kind of like uh, Bad stuff is going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, you, well, you kind of know bad stuff's going to happen, but I think that's the that's the the what's great about the movie is you're kind of always a little bit on edge, but you know, and then sometimes like, oh, nothing bad's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. They're actually, oh, they're just going to, you know, they're not going to kill each other now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and one of those characters we actually like, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's why he's not one of the eight. <laughs> um, so uh, now I'm trying to like what to. How long did you work putting this movie together? Uh, I mean, I, I think all in all, it was about 
10 months from start to finish. Um, you know, with uh, I, I, I wish I wish I knew off the top of the head, how, off the top of my head, how long production had lasted. But um, I want to say about five months, but I'm not 100% certain. Um, so, uh, so I was putting an assembly together and uh, during production, and then Quentin came in, and uh, the two of us worked together on the director's cut, and uh, and then refining that. Uh, and then we had we we had to we had a shorter schedule than we normally have because of the 70 millimeter film finish aspect um the negative had to be cut prints had to be struck um and that that and was that done at panavision uh no 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 uh, i mean photocam. not panavision but i mean what? photocam oh, photo yeah so uh so that that presented uh, you know i think we we ended up losing about six weeks because that process had to take place um so so uh it was a challenge to get it all done in, in the time that we had and had the people at photochem work done 70 millimeter prints before that's a really good question i mean they bent over backwards to help us to make this whole thing happen so somebody there had experience with it (laughs) well years ago i i watched the color of money 70 millimeter prints wow and uh i don't think anybody's shot on i mean i'm sure somebody's shot since color of money but right uh, it's was color of money shot in 70 yeah really i did not know that uh yeah, and I, I watched I watched a lot of real ones. Uh-huh. Let me tell you that you get really sick of Phil Collins after a while. Um, but I'm dating myself and uh, and someone else as well. Um, so I'm going to wrap up here because I'm actually going to use this. Okay. Uh, but um, it's really a pleasure getting to talk to you about what I think is uh, a glorious film experience that people should come out and see and. It must have been great fun editing such an experience. Uh, yeah, no, it was a blast. It was a total, total pinch me job. <laughs> so you're just like retiring now. You're just like yeah, I'm done. To the Bahamas. <laughs> you're done. It's over. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And, thank you. Uh, that was uh, uh, a thrill ride, and uh, it was really fun to talk to you about it. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. All right. <laughs>